the Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour. I'm honored that you're here. This is the home to interviews with some of the most iconic and interesting people around on the topics of arts, entertainment, and culture. With hundreds of interviews in the catalog, the best is yet to come. Help me in my mission. Go to www.thepaulleslie.com and click support the show. Any amount is appreciated. Now, let's get into it. The woman we're speaking with, Tierney Sutton, was called a serious jazz artist who takes the whole enterprise to another level. It's an honor to welcome jazz singer and recording artist Tierney Sutton. Thank you so much for joining us. Ah, thank you for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Good. Are artists born or are they made? Uh, I I think they're absolutely made. I think everybody is creative and everybody is artistic by nature on some level. And um, some of us decide to spend a lot of time on it. And, uh, and other people don't necessarily focus on, on it in the same way. But I think that uh, everybody has a lot of art within them. So for you, why jazz? Well, for me, you know, I, I just was thinking about this issue because I was just in my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and working with uh, musicians and singers at my high school, the high school that I went to as a kid, and I was not really introduced to jazz, or at least I wasn't introduced to jazz that made me think that I liked jazz. I really didn't have any idea what jazz was until college. And um, I always sang, but I didn't feel that it was very creative to just do covers, you know, to do covers of pop tunes with the same arrangements, which was, it was either you you, you were a, a, a singer-songwriter or you sang stuff that was already written for you in musicals, classical music, or cover bands for pop music. And none of that felt right to me. It all was... I, I wasn't really a songwriter, and um, maybe I should have worked towards becoming a songwriter, but it didn't feel like my calling. And I didn't want to do the same versions of the same songs that I heard on the radio, badly. And uh, when I finally was exposed to jazz, which was uh, midway through college, uh, I realized there was this other path where people took songs that were meant to be done in different ways by different people. And uh, it just completely spoke to me, and I immediately sort of fell in love with it. Are there certain singers that you would credit for expanding your awareness in jazz? Uh, yeah. Well, the first one that I saw live that really blew my mind was Betty Carter, and uh, her band was really extraordinary as well. And then I was introduced to Bobby McFerrin and what he was doing. And then I was introduced to Al Jarreau. And then I started to listen to a lot of Nancy Wilson because my vocal range was more similar to hers than a lot of the singers uh, that I first heard. 
And then later, I listened to a lot of early Frank Sinatra, too. So there are many, many singers that, that influenced me, but also a lot of instrumentalists. I listened to a lot of instrumental jazz early on. What about some of the instrumentalists that really caught your ear? Well, I I fell in love with uh, John Coltrane and um, and Miles Davis, but I also listened to a lot of Bill Evans' music. I was fascinated by the the idea that a lot of the jazz musicians had so much classical in, influence in their sound and in their craft, like Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans, the pianist, and so many other pianists, of course, but also the, the horn players, too. But I, I found that coming together of the different musical styles, like Dizzy Gillespie with Afro-Cuban music, I found that really fascinating, too, that there was this openness and desire to include lots of different influences by jazz musicians. Tell us about Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where you're from, or where you grew up, rather. Well, Milwaukee is that's an interesting place. I was just there last week, so I have some some idea. My experience in Milwaukee was maybe a little different than a lot of people's. My father was a civil rights lawyer, and so I was always aware of a lot of the racial tensions that existed in Milwaukee. And there was definitely, definitely was a highly, highly segregated place to grow up, and I was aware of that. And I think that was one of the reasons that I wasn't exposed to jazz in Milwaukee, because I wasn't exposed enough to the African-American community there. There were some real jazz legends, like Melvin Ryan, great organ player. I got to meet him after I graduated from high school and left Milwaukee. I came back for a visit and uh, went to hear him and got to sit in with him. Um, there, there were some, some great, great musicians, but it was such a segregated city that most white people weren't exposed to a lot of the great jazz in Milwaukee. And I was not until after I left Milwaukee and came back. But, you know, there's a, there is a, uh, an openness and a, and a humility and a kindness in the Midwest that that, that uh, is very compelling and, and lovely in its way. But unfortunately, there's some other, other bad stuff there. <laughs> We're speaking with Tierney Sutton. I wanted to ask you, from your perspective as a jazz artist, how do you view the current musical business? I think it's really, for me, it's really a brilliant mystery. You know, it's kind of the Wild West. Everybody's looking for a new paradigm, for a new, a new way of doing business in music. It's because it certainly has to change. It's not the same as it was. I don't think that live performance will ever die. People will want to see people play music live. And, uh, for that reason, I think that the jazz musicians and the virtuosity that studying jazz brings will, will continue to live and will continue to be vital throughout the world. I don't think there's any simple rule of, of how people should do things. Uh, I think things are going to change, and we all have to just do our best 
to hone our craft and and make good music and then and then figure out where we can play it and where we can present it. I don't think there's any there's any other path really. And most of the musicians I know are not interested in doing anything but that, just doing the best you can. My dad said to me once a long time ago, no matter what you do, there's always room for one more really good one. Hmm. And so you just you just have to try to to, to to really be the best that you can be at what you do and, and complete and, and continue to feed your 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 creativity and find collaborators that spur you on. And that's that's the only the only um rule of quote unquote business that I can really think of and support people that are doing good work because it'll feed you to see it. Speaking of collaborators, what do you look for in somebody that you are either going to perform live with or record with? Well, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think looking for someone to collaborate with is looking for someone to have a good conversation with. So there has to be a combination of someone that's willing to offer some some good ideas, but also somebody that's willing to be detached from those ideas and know that they may change in the course of the conversation. And so somebody has had to spend some time with with their own concept. And then you come to them and you bring your concept and, and then you you bat things around for a while. So I I look for somebody that that feels like I'm I might be a good collaborator for them for sure, and um, and we see what happens. I think you usually know pretty quickly uh, whether somebody might be a good good partner. I've been fortunate that I was able to meet my band when I first moved to LA 25 years ago, and we're still working together today because. We we've we've grown together in in addition to having similar aesthetics when we first started, but now after all these years, we've been through so much and grown so much together that 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 it it continues to be vital. What do you think it is about the musicians in the Tierney Sutton band that has created this dynamic where you all have been able to stay together, working together? For so long, I think the process that we've used to really be collaborators, rather than have having one person, you know, sort of force the ideas. I think we're all smart enough to know that you can you can have an idea that feels really solid, and then when the whole group addresses it, it might not work for one reason or the other. And I think everybody in the band is is attached and mature enough to understand that process and to be detached about that process and to to marvel at the consequences when you can go through that process. And it's the same when we worked with Clint Eastwood on the film Sully. We were very prepared to have yet another person come in and to know that we were going to do our best, but that many things would not be accepted because they shouldn't be and they don't have to be. 
because there's there's another voice in there. And I think that that's, that's been really a, a growing thing for all of us, that each of us spurs the other ones to see things from a point of view that they might not have seen them from before and realize on the other side that that was a gift. The music in that Clint Eastwood film, Sully, I was just absolutely, the whole movie, first of all, but the, the music added so much. At times very subtle, but, but very beautiful. Did you find that Clint Eastwood was different than your preconceived conception of him, or was he similar? He was very similar to, to mine, because I, I had known him for a while. Uh, we had known Clint, and I had started to get to know him a little bit better. He's a very gentle man, and he's very clear in what he wants to do artistically, but he is not at all the personality of the characters that people might associate him with. He's, he could, couldn't be more divergent from those characters, actually, in terms of his his personal attributes that, that we experienced as a band. How would you define Clint Eastwood's relationship with music? You know, I, I couldn't say exactly his relationship with music, but what I will say is that he's, he is a deep and knowledgeable fan and lover of music and, and creator of music. He is, he is someone that really has dedicated chunks of his life and of his livelihood and of his time to, to music that's very precious to me and to, to many of my jazz musician friends. And so for that reason, he's, incredibly dear to us, we could not have asked for a more knowledgeable and respectful collaborator to work with. He, he was clear, and he would ask us to do things in certain ways, but he was always super respectful and admiring of what the band was doing and what each member was doing and would would ask us questions, would make suggestions and say, how, do, how can we get to this point? And he, he, he knows what he's doing. And we had a, an incredibly wonderful time working with him. He was a champion of, of the music in the film in a way that very few first-time composers on a, on a major film ever get to have. You know, we had the big boss that was looking looking after each cue and, and really willing to take a second look and decide whether it should be there or whether it shouldn't. And I've talked to a lot of people that write music for film and, and our, our experience with him was really up the food chain from what people usually experience. We're talking with vocalist Tierney Sutton. As a singer, is there anything you do to keep your voice in shape? There's a lot I do. Uh, the biggest thing I do is I sleep a lot and uh, I rest a lot. And when I'm doing shows, I like to spend 14 hours of vocal rest between the shows. I don't like to, if I'm doing a run in New York, for example, I, I don't like to have lunch with friends. I don't like to, you have to kind of avoid talking and really take care of yourself. I've had to miss a couple of shows last year for the first time in 20 years because I just got too sick. And so it, it, 
it's the uh, I think I think of it's almost as if we have to uh, I, I described it last week as being a lazy athlete. You kinda have to be <laughs> a lazy athlete. But I have to exercise too. Is music performing recording however you do it is it a spiritual experience for you yeah pretty much 100 percent. and it's a it's a kind of meditation kenny warner talks about having a sense of relaxed concentration and i think that to be in that state is very much the same as being in a meditative state when i'm singing with anybody especially my band but with anybody i'm seeking a kind of oneness with the music and the, and oneness with the other musicians that I'm playing with, and that that sensation is it is it is it for me essentially a spiritual one, a, 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 a sensation of egolessness and loss of self. When somebody hears you singing, what is it that you want them to get from that experience? You know, I I don't think I could. Could um, I couldn't be so presumptuous to say, you know? I think I think we do each of us. I hope to to have done my due diligence to be in a in a good state. There is a prayer that I say with my band, and I say often before I go on stage that says, "Oh God, make of me a hollow reed from the pith of from which the pith of self hath been blown." that I may be a clear channel through which thy love may flow to others. So I suppose in that sense, I hope to be a hollow reed. I hope to be in a state where I can express something that's, that's greater than myself that others can resonate with. But I can't, I can't, um, you know, that, that that will happen for other people. I just can do my due diligence to, to be in my space, to, to do my best. Just judging from that prayer, I'm going to guess here, is being humble important to you? I think it's pretty important. I think that jazz and improvised music is something that's about a moment. And in order to be present in that moment, you have to be detached and selfless enough to to not assume what that moment's going to be, you know? And I think everyone in my band talks about that, that reality of, of service and that the ego gets in there and you start worrying about the rest of it is when the trouble starts. And there's a million ways your ego can attack you. Your ego can come at you telling you how great you are, but your ego can also come at you telling you how horrible you are. And um, neither are true. You're just doing your job. That's fascinating to me. I like that. I want to ask about a particular recording, one that I, I happen to like a lot, and it's from the recent album from the Patrick Williams Band, the Patrick Williams Big Band. And mm. you, it's a great song, and I, I, I like that song I've been around. Tell us about making that happen. Well, that was a really cool opportunity. Pat Williams contacted me and asked if I would be uh, willing to sing something on his album. And the, the song he had in mind, he wanted uh, me to do as a duet with Frank Sinatra Jr., whom I had never met 
uh, we had a lot of mutual friends. And of course, I knew his work and I knew who he was, but I had never met him. And so the first time I'd ever, I ever met him was the day that we recorded together. And we did record together in the studio. I think we, were, we actually just sang in the same booth. I don't even think that we sang in two different booths, if I remember correctly. I think we just we did it in two different microphones, but we just sat there and sang. And it was a pretty magical day for me. Uh, we were in Capitol, and he started talking about the first time that he was in the studio, which was to watch his father conduct the the album Tone Poems of Color, which was an album, oh, I, I think it must have been recorded in the 40s or early 50s or something. It's an album that was instrumental suites by Nelson Riddle and Gordon Jenkins, and each one had a color as a theme, and Sinatra conducted it. And it's a wonderful album, and, and Frank Jr. sent it to me in the mail with a note after we recorded together. But it, it, was, a, it was a wonderful day, and, and he was singing so beautifully and had done a bunch of homework on the song and sang all the harmonies, so I sang the easy parts. And it was, he was just couldn't have been more of a gentleman, and it was a, quite a magic day to be at Capitol with Frank Sinatra Jr. Can't beat that. It's it's really something, and I I could be wrong here, but could it possibly have been one of the last recordings he made? I think it was the last studio recording he made, as far as I can tell. But I, I'm not positive about that, but I think that might be the case, which is really something. What did you find his personality to be like? He was he was a, a an odd guy, but very sweet. And I've, I've heard this from many people that knew him a lot better than I did. He seemed to be very deferential about his father. Talk about humble. He had a very, his affect was extremely gentle and a little self-effacing, but not too much so. And he deflected things to his father a lot which I thought was very interesting because that had to be a difficult burden to carry in your life. And he obviously found a a path that made him feel secure enough to be, you know, to talk about the elephant in the room. I I found that really interesting because I've known a lot of people with famous spouses, parents, you know, all the rest of it. And I thought it was very cool that just, I was like, yeah, my dad, mm -hmm. he's here. I'm not going to try to deny it. And he was such a, a, a knowledgeable historian of his father and his father's music. And I admired the fact that he just embraced that and said, yeah, this is, this is part of what I am. So I might as well just be real about it. Hmm. I wanted to also ask you about the album that you made. Certainly one of the great songwriters of all time would be Joni Mitchell. And your interpretations of her music. What was that experience like to make? It was a really great experience for me. It was a, a something I I had been encouraged by a lot of people over 
a, a period spanning 20 years to do Joni Mitchell's music. But I knew that it was kind of sacred ground and that it took me that long to really spend time with her music and really listen to her enough to feel that I had something to say that maybe was a little bit different than the the myriad versions of things that came before me. And a big part of that was this, this process we were talking about before of collaboration. Peter Erskine reached out to me and said he, would, he was willing to be part of the project, and I was thrilled. I, I decided that I wanted to, to invite Larry Goldings because I wanted organ and acoustic piano on it. And I it was taking a break from the Tierney Sutton Band. And so it was, a, it was a wonderful thing. And right around that time, Al Jarreau contacted me about doing a duet with him on an album he was working on. And, and I said, well, I'd love to do that, but will you do one with me on my Joni record? So it also gave me an opportunity to, to work with Al Jarreau, which was incredible. So a part of it was feeling finally like I'd spent enough time with Joni Mitchell's music to, to sit down and, and address some of these songs. And then the other thing was having an opportunity to work with a whole bunch of different collaborators. And um, both of those things were thrilling for me. Al Jarreau, another great artist, sadly no longer with us. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Al Jarreau will always be with us. But uh, tell us what you learned from him. Well, you know, he died just this last January, and it was the day of the Grammys. And I was walking the red carpet with, with Christian Jacob, and we were asked by a, a, a television station or some show or something, what was the legacy of Al Jarreau? And I, I really loved what Christian said. Christian said that he felt that Al was a bridge between instrumentalists and singers. And I think that's so true. And it was really fun and wonderful to work with Al. And, he, and we're from the same hometown. He's also from Milwaukee. So we, we have a, a running joke about that as well. It was really a thrill to, to spend an afternoon with him and, and sing with him. I'm so grateful that I got that opportunity. If anyone could say anything about your work, I was asking you earlier, you know, what do you want someone to get out of it? What would be the biggest compliment someone could pay you? Wow. I don't know. I, I think one good compliment would be that the collaborators who play with me work at, would, would, would do some of their greatest work with me. I think, I think if you, if you find that great musicians want to work with you and do work that you really admire and love with you, I think that, that, that is in and of itself a, a great compliment. What is the biggest blessing to being Tierney Sutton? Well, I'm tempted to say my fluffy black cat that's sitting on my lap right now. I'm <laughs> really tempted. It's a good question. I, you know, I think I'm very, very lucky that I've had the philosophy of the Baha'i faith to, to kind of help me be grounded and to, to help me navigate some of the crazier things that have happened in my life. And that philosophy of oneness has, has kind of 
informed everything I've done, including having an incorporated band and looking at this collaborative process the way that I do. So I would say that that would probably be the biggest blessing because it kind of spills over into all of these things. And my cat. (laughs) (laughs) What was the cat's name? Buster. Buster. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of incorporated commonality, oneness, there's all different types of people listening, all different types, and they're from all different places. For anyone who's listening to this, what would you say to them? Totally open-ended. What would I say to them? Wow. I guess right now at this time in history, I would say try to love somebody that disagrees with you and try to find something you agree with them on. That's kind of my big thing. I think, and be ready to change your mind about things. Mm. Because I think that the, the great blessing of this process that my band has been doing for, you know, over 20 years of creating this music together is that we've learned through this process that I can have an idea that I'm really fixated on, that I really think is a great idea, and I can change my mind about that idea. And I can be really happy that I did and realizing realize I'm having more fun and things are going much more smoothly because I've changed my mind. <laughs> so I would say try to find try to find ways to connect with people that you disagree with and be ready to change your mind. That's that's incredible. Just you know, it's very hard for sometimes well not sometimes, almost always for people to change their mind. <laughs> Yeah, that's another gift that I got from my dad. My dad could change his mind. And I got to watch that growing up. I got to watch him say, yeah, I used to think this. I was wrong about that. Now I think this. And the next week, he might change it again. Which can be very liberating. It's pretty cool. (laughs) It's pretty cool. You know, I was just thinking the other day about things that I've said. I've gone on the record saying I've... I'm, it's on tape, even. I said this, mm-hmm. and now I think right. about it. I don't think that anymore. <laughs> and that's and that's fine. And you know what? That's legal. Yeah. That's totally okay. That's, that's being a human being. That's getting some new information. That's living a little longer. You know, my son posted something on Facebook today that I thought was great. He said, wisdom isn't lack of ignorance. It's It's acceptance of ignorance. Hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we all are lacking in, in, in vital information. And so if we, and, that, and that's where humility comes in. If we really think we know what's going on, we might be surprised when we gain a little, little information. So in the meantime, we can just try to be kind and and be ready to to change our minds. Our guest has been Tierney Sutton. Anyone who wants to visit the website for some more information, it's tierneysutton.com, T-I-E-R-N-E-Y, tierneysutton.com. Thank you so much for sharing with us and being with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It was an honor, believe me. 
and have a wonderful day. All right, you too. I appreciate it. Take care. Take care. Hopefully there'll be a next Bye. time. Bye-bye. I hope so. Three. Goodbye.